1: there are other things we don't like to do and sometimes we have to do them but we do not like to do them they're hard to do but when you discover your heart passion and you begin to live that out while you're functioning in
0: joy fulfillment welcome to the barnabas effect
1: thing that's ever been said of you because of your faith. What's the worst thing that's ever been done to you because of your faith? I can remember as a child growing up in our small town in South Carolina, And though I didn't know all the details, I understood that there were people who were coming against my dad, the pastor of our church, because he had baptized an African-American family that had come into that predominantly white church. I, I think that's the first time I understood that sometimes we undergo hurt When we stand up for what is right. It was a few years later, I was still a child, and I can remember coming home on a Wednesday night during a season in which, again, my dad had made a stand. He had gone to the city council and fought against the ABC store being built right down from the church in a very short proximity. And that store won out and it's open today. But that night we came home from church on a Wednesday and our house had been shot through. We we never found out who did that. It's kind of crazy. I can remember when I first started out in ministry and and I tried to lead in the way I thought God wanted to. I was a student pastor. And so I was working with teenagers and their parents. And some parents got upset at something I'd done. I don't remember and it doesn't matter, but I called my mentor, my hero, my dad, for guidance, for wisdom, for comfort. I said, dad, they hurt my feelings. He said, son, you either got to get thicker skin or get out of the ministry. I said, may I speak to mom, please? (laughs) Um, I can remember pastoring my first church God was greatly blessing this First Baptist Church and this southern town outside of Atlanta. It was on 2.2 acres and we were outgrowing the facilities and so the church decided to relocate and people in the town wrote letters to the paper against me because the Presbyterian Church and the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church has always been side by side and now you're leaving. (laughs) The day of the vote... um, An old man in the church stood outside the front doors getting people to sign a petition. He lost. (laughs) We relocated, moved from those 2.2 acres to 52.2 acres for the glory of God. But I I look back, and those are just some of the things I think about as I think about how our faith sometimes causes us to take stands that are not always popular. What about you? The reality is if we live the Christ life as described in Scripture, it is going to be a life that is counter to the culture in which we live. Some people around us will think we're stirring up trouble. They will think we're the ones that are getting it wrong. We're the ones turning things upside down. But the truth is, If we have a relationship with Christ, that relationship, what flows out of us, should so impact our world that we're constantly making a positive impact. We know that. But what do we do if the impact we're trying to make is not positively received? That's kind of the That's kind of the story we're going to talk about today. The theme verse would be Acts 17 verse 6. This is what it says. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Oh, that that would be said of us as Christ followers. Hey, the people that are turning things upside down over there have now come here. We've now got to deal with this conspiracy of Christ likeness. We've been talking about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the Acts of the Holy Spirit as seen through the Acts of the Apostles of God as the early church advanced into the known world. It's going to end in chapter 28. And when it does, we're reminded that the gospel goes forth even after that, advancing, and it ends with these words, unhindered. Unhindered. And that's because you and I are Acts 29. We're the next chapter. We are the ones that are going to determine whether or not the gospel continues to advance. But in Acts, God uses this man named Paul. He was a Jew who persecuted Christians. He was radically saved. He spent time growing in his faith. And then he began to be what may well be the greatest missionary who's ever lived. But everywhere that Paul went, he left a mark. He stirred things up. He made an impact, he had great influence, and I believe that's an example of how God wants us to live as followers of Christ. In fact, I would suggest that our God wants you to turn your little corner of the world upside down. But here's what I've learned. Most of us are in one of three categories. We're either turning our world upside down, we're being turned upside down by the world, or we're just wondering, which end is up? Some of you are in that category. You're just taking life as it comes to you. Some of you, your life is topsy-turvy. You feel like you've been knocked off your feet. Your world is upside down. But some of you have found this secret, and you're turning your world upside down. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do I live with that kind of passion. The Apostle Paul's on what Christian history records as the second missionary journey. This journey began by God constraining him and not allowing him to go where he thought he wanted to go, but instead sending him into what is now Europe. One of the first places he went was a city called Philippi. And last week we learned that in that city of Philippi, he had caused a ruckus. He was making an impact. His influence had gotten him thrown in jail, but there in jail, instead of sorrow, he decided to sing. Instead of pouting, he decided to praise God. As a result, God showed up and and we'd learned that the prisons of our life will always cause us to focus on God or focus on self. And when we focus on God, he shows up and rocks the world. When we focus on self, we just have a pity party and those are never fun. So he focuses on God. God shakes the world around him. And we see a convert in this place called Philippi, a Philippian jailer who begins a relationship with Christ. And the Bible says, as a result, his whole family begins relationships with Jesus Christ. And so, chapter 16 ends with the Apostle Paul continuing, advancing, strengthening the churches. And then we come to Acts 17. Acts 17 could be called a tale of three cities. Because in Acts 17, you're going to see how God shows up in Thessalonica, how God shows up in Berea, and how God shows up in the well known city of Athens. Listen to the word of God in Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now, Paul would always go to large cities places of influence. Thessalonica still exists today. It's referred to as Thessaloniki in Greece. It's a beautiful, large metropolitan city. God in the New Testament always went to the mega cities because he knew that the gospel would spread forth from there. I'd remind you that we live in such a city not necessarily among the largest in the world but we live in a large city that is comprised of people from all around the world and if the gospel seed really takes root in Tampa Bay i believe it will it will begin to spread around the world like we've never seen and so there they were in Thessalonica and it says that Paul went to where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in as was his custom And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. In the book of Acts, we've discovered that the gospel always divides. Religion doesn't necessarily divide. Rituals can be performed and not necessarily divide, but the gospel always divides. Why? Because the gospel is necessarily exclusive. Jesus, in explaining the gospel, said this of himself, I am the the way, the... And uh, so Jesus said of himself, I am an exclusive way for you to experience the one truth and to know what it is, is to enter into life. The gospel has always been exclusive. And so as a result, the gospel has always been divisive. And so sometimes we have people that hear the gospel and they receive the gospel. Other times we have people who hear the gospel and they say, I've got to think about this. They just reflect on the gospel.
0: Other times we have people who hear the gospel and they reject the gospel. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I want to do a quick test. How
1: many of you here have had the opportunity at some point in your life to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone and they received the gospel? Let me see your hands. That's awesome. Praise God. Now, how many of you have ever had times where you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, and they said, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not ready. I want to reflect on that. Anybody? Yeah, most of us. All right, how about this? How many of you have ever had times in your life where you've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, and they said, no, thank you. That's not for me. They rejected it, yeah. Yeah. And I want you to understand that because those have always been responses to the gospel. And we see that even in these three cities and even in each of these cities as the Apostle Paul presents the gospel. And it reminds us of something. It's not your responsibility to change someone. It's it's your responsibility to love them and be faithful. This is not a sermon on marriage, but if you're married, that's a good word for you. It's not your job to change your spouse. It's your job to love them and to be faithful to them. That's true in every area of our life, and it's true even when we share the gospel. Look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded, great, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews... We're jealous. And I find it interesting that he uses this word that we translate jealous. As I was thinking about this, I'm just reminded jealousy always gets us into trouble. Because jealousy begins to control our emotions. It begins, it causes us to begin to think about things in a way that we should not. And as I was reviewing this passage this morning, I, I, I thought about in my life how that comes into me. And in my life, I, it, it really creeps in through another word. I would call it comparison. I look at someone else or another pastor or other churches. And so I thought, what a great time for us just to pause, to to press the pause button in the the middle of this season of worship and this teaching of Scripture and do something that we know would honor God and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are meeting to worship and open the Scriptures and present the gospel all around our region today. Does that sound like a good idea? So the Jews were seeing what... Paul and his companions were doing, and they began to be jealous because people were flocking to the gospel. Not a surprise, right? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And so what did they do? Well, taking some wicked men out of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. And I read that and I'm just reminded, there there are always going to be troublemakers in our midst, (laughs) There are always going to be people in your life that are the rabble, that want to form the mob. In our culture, a mob mentality is rampant, isn't it? So this was not a good thing. And so they were seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And so what did they do? They went to the house of a man named Jason. Now wait a second. That's a a new name to us, isn't it? It's not the Apostle Paul. This is not the Apostle Peter. This is not a saint that we think of. Jason, he must just be a regular old guy. How many of you are regular old guys or gals? Yeah. Isn't it great that when you can open scripture, God sometimes just gives us a gift and reminds us you may not have to be someone that is on a stage or has a vocational calling or that everybody knows your name. You may not have to be that worship leader that everybody's singing your songs on the radio. Maybe you're just a regular old guy or gal and God wants to use you. And so they went to Jason's house They were seeking to bring them, Paul and his companions, out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come over here also. Jason's received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, Jesus. Jesus. And so here we are, it wasn't Paul, it's Jason. Say Jason. (laughs) It's Jason. And and he's in trouble. He's being accused of, of turning the world upside down. When your life has truly been impacted by King Jesus, it makes such an influence on you that it influences everything around you. That's why we like to think of him as King Jesus, because we submit to him. We acknowledge that now everything we do is to honor him. He, He gets the glory. He gets the praise. He gets the attention. So if Jesus is my king that means my vocation is viewed through the filter of what King Jesus wants. If Jesus is my king, that means how I raise my children is viewed through the filter of what King Jesus wants. If Jesus is my king, how I love my wife, how I love my husband is reflective of who King Jesus is and what he wants. If Jesus is my king, then my finances belong to him. So you could see why it caused an uproar. Because everybody in this city was saying <laughs> they're saying Jesus is king and we know Caesar doesn't like that. See, if you say that Jesus is king, you're acknowledging you're not king and no one else is taking that place of priority and prominence in your life. And I have to say that it only makes sense that we as a church are not the salt and light in our culture because many of us are not living as if Jesus is truly the king. Because when we do, it turns our world upside down. And you live your life as if Jesus is going to have the final say in how you think and speak and act. It will turn things upside down in your corner of the world. Look at verse 8. The people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. It's crazy what happened here. So basically, Jason had to post bail to get out of jail And then what we haven't read yet is they gather Paul and Silas, the companions, they were hiding, and they say, now get out of town. You got to move on. That's how we come to the second city, Berea, in just a moment. But I want to stop there because I want to think about that question. How do we turn our world upside down? How do we live in such a way that we make lasting impact and influence. How, how, do I, how do I live the Christ life knowing that the people around me know that Jesus is my King, that He's the most important thing to me? That it's not what you think or, or not what you do or, or not how you receive me, but Jesus is the audience for, of one for whom I perform. The truth is, there are some simple ways to live this way. Let me just give them to you. Number one, if you want to make a difference right where you are, you have to learn to be who God made you to be and do what God made you to do. How many of you realize we're all different? Let me see your hand. (laughs) Do you understand that different is not bad? That different is just different? God made us different. And and the apostle Paul clearly had understood the different way that God made him and he found his sweet spot. He was in the zone. That's what we say of an athlete when they're having a good day. They're in the zone. Paul was in the zone. He he was doing what he knew knew to do the best he knew to do it. The the greatest thing I've learned in, in the last 25 years of ministry is that God just wants me to be me. God doesn't want me to be my dad, though my dad's kind of my hero and my pastor. God doesn't want me to be my friend Johnny Hunt, though Johnny Hunt was a mentor to me and's taught me so much. God doesn't want me to be those great men I looked up to like Billy Graham or Charles Stanley. Listen to me now. no. God wants me to be the best me that he created me to be. When when I get to heaven, he's not going to say, hey, why weren't you more like Don? Or why weren't you more like Johnny? Or why weren't you more like Charles? But if I don't find my niche, if I don't live in the groove that he created me to live in, he may say, "Why why didn't you use what I gave you to be you? I love how years ago, Rick Warren laid this out. He reminded us that God shaped each of us. Let me tell you what that word shape stands for. First of all, he said it stands for our spiritual gifts. Did you know that every one of you are gifted? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that at your spiritual birth, he endowed you with spiritual gifts. That means he gave you things that allow you to help the body function. Remember the Bible says that the church, those who follow Jesus make up the body of Christ. So some are like the head of the body. Some are like the feet of the body. Some are like the arms and the legs. Others, it even says in in the Bible that some are more like the insides of the body. We all have different parts. And when we discover those parts and learn to function for His glory, we're using our spiritual gifting. So that helps shape us. But then we all have a heart passion, things that we love to do. And you don't have to be a theologian to understand this, do you? There are some things we love to do, and those are pretty easy to do. There are other things we don't like to do, and sometimes we have to do them, but we do not like to do them. and They're hard to do. But when you discover your heart passion and you begin to live that out while you're functioning in joy,
0: fulfillment. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.